Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> you know, I, 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 there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. Stanley pour les Canadiens. Le 23e de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Good Friday evening, everyone. I am your host, Matt O'Hane, as per usual, the Hebrew Hammer on Friday nights. Let's just get right into it. Uh, The Sick Podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. They have been named by the Financial Times as one of America's fastest growing companies in 2023 and have been recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top growing Canadian company for two years in a row. They work with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies providing end-to-end logistics services. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. We're also brought to you by Playground, your premier gaming destination, open 24-7. Drinks are always free when you play. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments, cash games, daily promotions, free valet, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal, Playground. Also brought to you by La Bita TV, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bita TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bita TV, embrace your true nature. And by Murphy Clinic, they are an aesthetic clinic specializing in medical aesthetic care. They offer permanent laser hair removal, as well as a wide range of treatments for skin problems such as acne, rosacea, fine lines, and more. They currently have two clinics, one located in Montreal's Shop Angus and the second one on the North Shore in Terrebonne. They're also opening very soon in Quebec City. Visit murphyclinic.ca or on Instagram at Murphy Clinic. All right, uh, you may be noticing I'm wearing a Bengal sweater. Uh, just very quickly, that's because uh, I almost wasn't going to be hosting this podcast uh, because I almost spent the past 36 hours in bed because uh, yesterday you may have heard that Joe Burrow went down in practice. It's okay, though. It's just a strained calf. It's okay. It's just a strained calf. We're going to be okay. Um I I said on Twitter that this team, uh, they uh, dictate my mental health from the months of uh, basically September to February. I can't handle the season being over in July. I can almost handle it being over in January. Uh, I handled it very poorly last year when they got eliminated to the Chiefs. I don't know what I would be able to, what I would do for uh, six months of the year if the uh, if the season was over in July. But that's neither here nor there. All right, let's get into it. Um, 
our guest today. Not a lot of news uh, going on with the Montreal Canadiens, but uh, we could always talk Habs. I mean, hey, this team is 24-7. So uh, with me today is Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette. Stu, how are you? I'm doing well. 24-7, 12 months a year with the Habs. People can never get enough. Well, that's it, right? Um, so, you know what? I want to start with a uh, with a football kind of comparison because yesterday was kind of an interesting day in the news cycle, except for – forget even about the Joe Burrow uh, thing. But, you know, Sean Payton is the new head coach of the Denver Broncos, and he had an interview with US, USA Today basically saying that last year was – I mean, he's right, was one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL uh, for the Denver Broncos, uh, being done by the Denver Broncos, whose head coach was Nathaniel Hackett, who is now the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Is everyone following? Okay, good. Um, so my what, where I was thinking is because, you know, the NFL season is still about two months away. I know it's training camp right now, but this is really a league that is 24-7. Forget that the Habs are 24-7, but the NHL kind of sort of not. Um, have you ever seen something like that in the NHL? And, you know, before we t- before we talk about uh, what the NHL could do to become maybe a 24-7 league, but have you ever seen something like this? I, I can't think of any sport where a coach has come in and basically just dumped all over the coach you replaced and what a horrible job he did. But I mean, I, I think the, the thinking behind it is he wants to get the confidence of his quarterback, Russell Wilson, who was horrible last season. So now they just put all the blame on the old coach. And that takes a lot, will take a lot of pressure off of Russell Wilson in the training camp. I'm sure he'll be asked about it. I imagine he already has been. But uh, I imagine that's a strategy behind it. But it's rare to hear a coach say something like that about another coach from the coaching brotherhood. And that's sort of what it is in the NFL and in the NHL. Also, these guys all know each other. So that was, that was surprising, but I can understand the thinking behind why he would do it. Cause he's trying to take uh, all the blame off of his quarterback and get Russell Wilson back, uh, back in shape this season. You were talking about Joe Burrow. I mean, if the Bengals lost Joe Burrow, they're done. And the Broncos are stuck with Russell Wilson for lack of a better word right now. And they need him yeah. to play a lot better if they're going to do anything. So that's uh, uh, a bit of a mental game. I think they're trying to give some confidence to Russell Wilson. Because to, to me, I mean, I also, and I couldn't think of one, but the closest thing I thought of, obviously having a uh, Habs memory bank, was um, back. It was it was still in the playoffs though. Like it wasn't in training camp before the season started, but it was in the playoffs when uh, I think it was uh, it was well it was it was Rafael Diaz sent the suicide pass to Lars Eller, and then uh, Eric Riba cracks him uh, from the blind side, and. Then you see the two teams going at it, um, you know, with uh, Michelle Terrier, it's a lack of respect. And then, you know, they had um, Paul McLean saying, you know, player 61. He didn't even even say the name of the Mm -hmm. player. Um, You know, it was just that's the only time I could really think of coaches really going at it. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rare just for, doesn't happen. It's rare for players to even do something like that. I mean, I remember back in the playoffs when Dominic Ducharme had uh, COVID and Luke Richardson replaced them, and Ben Sherratt, you know, said all the players in this team would skate through a wall for Luke Richardson. You know, he didn't say dang right. negative against Dominic Ducharme, but nobody ever said that about Dominic Ducharme. So I think that was sort of a message, just how much the players liked playing for Luke Richardson and maybe how much they didn't uh, with Dominic Ducharme. But again, uh, to, to hear a coach say that about another coach is really surprising. So 
Um, next, next doc, next item on the docket for NFL NHL comparison was, uh, you know, earlier in the off season, uh, everyone's talking about where's Aaron Rodgers going? Where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? And then we finally ends up in New York and, you know, he's, you know, all the, all the lights are on him right now and he's getting constant press again, trying to think how the NHL could have built, you know, a storyline about a player this way. And, you know, it's, it's kind of radio silence on his front right now. Um, Patrick Kane, this guy is one of, if not the best American players of all time. Uh, he's on the market right now, 34 years old. I get it. He's on the, uh, he's, he's getting to the wrong side of 30. Um, but he's two years removed or a year removed from a 90 point season. And, you know, it's kind of, we're not really hearing, oh, where is he going? Where's the Patrick Kane sweepstakes? I don't know. Why Why do you think that is? Well, he looked like he was done in Chicago. And then after the trade deadline, he had a little bit of a spark. And then he looked like he was done again. I remember when they played in, uh, he just played in Montreal after the trade. And he didn't look great in that game either. And I think it's a case, some guys get old really quick. Some guys, like, it's like, it's not like from one season to the next, they get old. And, you know, for Canadian science, Scott Gomez is an example of that. I mean, right. Scott Gomez was a good player before he came to Montreal. And then he got here, and all of a sudden, he got old fast. That move to the outside where he used to be able to beat the defenseman, he couldn't beat him anymore. And it became so predictable, and it was, it was hard to watch. And I think just some guys, it's, some guys age slowly, and some guys, it just hits, like, all of a sudden. it's They get old. Like, just from one season to the next, they're old. And I think that might be the case with Kane, that he's just, he's, his. He just whatever, whether it's losing that little step or, or losing a little bit of the desire, whatever it is, uh, I think some guys get old fast, and I think that's what's happened with him. I mean, my I guess my my rebuttal to that would be Joe Pavelski, right? Uh, Joe mm-hmm. Pavelski, I feel like he had uh, a couple of years ago, before he went to Dallas, he had like a really tough season in San Jose, and probably that was the beginning of the downfall of the Sharks, uh, where they decided to rebuild. And then, you know, he leaves, goes to Dallas, and then, you know, starts lighting it up again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel, I just feel like, you know, when there's a, it, it's the same thing kind of with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, you know, last season was horrible uh, yeah. for him. He, he, I don't think he's thrown a 300 yard uh, passing game in 22 games, yet everyone's still talking about him because yeah. he's, he's two years removed from an MVP. Again, Patrick Kane's two years removed or a year removed, depending on how you look at it, from a 90-point season. I don't know. I feel like there's still something there. He's one of the best players of all time. You can't really just count that out. You have to think there's teams that have shown interest, like with Jonathan Drouin for 800 grand or whatever it was he was getting, and maybe Patrick Kane is holding out, hoping he can get more money than that. Because you'd have to think, as you say, you'd think a team would take a – Colorado's willing to take a chance on Jonathan Drouin for that kind of money. You think somebody would be willing to take a, a a chance on Kane, but maybe Kane isn't ready to sign for that kind of money yet. And uh, mm-hmm. could be a case. I remember when PK Subban was, you know, before he retired, he said he, he wanted to play. He was going to listen to offers. And if it wasn't somewhere he wanted to play and it wasn't the money that he thought it was worth, he would retire. And that's, that's what he did. So I don't know. Patrick Kane might be in a similar situation right now where if it's not somewhere he wants to play and it's not financially worth his while, maybe he'll just pack it in. So um, the last thing I will say is, again, I know it's a three-on-three uh, Quebec tournament, uh, Quebec players tournament slash, you know, players playing in Montreal. But, you know, why? there's a there's a three-on-three tournament going on over at uh, Hockey, et cetera, over off the, 
what's it, the Cote d'Elias Highway, the 520, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Why, why haven't we heard anything about this? This is like we're the hockey mecca. And like Nick Suzuki's playing in this three on three tournament. I don't know. I feel like we should be hearing a little bit more. I know it's like you can't take much from a three on three tournament, but I, I I feel like this would be something that like Canadians fans would are like seething over. Like wow. they want it, they want it, they crave it, you know. It's I like mean, there was there was seething over the four on four scrimmage at development camp, and people were critiquing players and breaking down their play <laughs> in a four on four basically scrimmage at a development camp. So it's not surprising. I mean, anything, as I said, it, it's the apathy Canadians fans have is insatiable. They just, they can't get enough. I mean, I know it's put on by one of the player agencies. I've, I've been on vacation the last couple of weeks. I'm not even sure what kind of media access they have or if they're allowing right. media even in there. I'm not, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen anything in my email, although I haven't been looking that closely while I've been on vacation. Um, but yeah, that's one of those things. I mean, if they put it on YouTube or showed it on their team website i know they showed the four and four scrimmage the canadians right. showed it live on their twitter account and on their, their page and i'm sure a lot of people watched it um but i mean it, it's basically it's just guys getting together and and uh through the agency and guys getting to know each other and just skating i mean nobody's nobody's going hard nobody's doing anything serious in in july or august i mean i saw a video on twitter yesterday of max domi skating for the first time in his leafs practice jersey and that's all it is. He's just out for a skate. These guys, yeah. just it's it's like it's like beer league hockey at uh, ten o'clock in the winter for a bunch of old guys throwing the puck around. It's uh, obviously a lot higher caliber. Yeah, but uh, it's just guys staying in shape, getting to know each other, uh, throw the puck around a bit, skate, probably go have lunch afterwards, uh, get to know players from the other teams a little bit. So it's not it's not serious at all. But I'm sure there's a lot of Canadians fans and hockey fans that would take it seriously. As I said, I was sort of laughing with that. You know, I was at the Inbrass or watching that four on four. Uh, scrimmage at the end of the development camp. It was fun to watch, and some guys were going a little harder than other guys, and mm. some kids hadn't been on the ice for a couple of weeks before. They weren't in as good shape as other guys, so it's you got to factor all that in before you start analyzing or breaking down what's happening in a three-on-three or a four-on-four summer event. Well, we know as uh, as Twitter would love, like, can you just imagine how Twitter would explode if I, again? I only know that like Nick Suzuki and Caden Gooley are taking part in this, mm-hmm. but can you imagine if like there was a a Bruins defenseman taking part in this and, you know, Nick Suzuki just walked him like completely just like embarrassed him. Like how crazy it would, like everyone would go on the internet. I I mean, I feel like there would, there would have been something there with, uh, you know, you just want to keep, I know the interest will always be there, especially when things start to ramp up and the preseason rolls around, but I don't know. I feel like you want to, you want to hold your, uh, your fan base for as long as you can. Well, what was the carry price line after he had a rough preseason game? Was it everybody? Was everybody chill? Or everybody everybody chill. Yeah. Everybody chill. It's like a preseason game. It's a, this is three on three scrimmage in uh, at the end of July. Uh, and again, these guys, I'm sure, <laughs> now, most of these guys take a, a few weeks off the ice uh, after the season's over. And this is guys, I think, just getting back on the ice now mm-hmm. for most of these guys. And Odomi, the tweet about Domi, as he said, it was his first time skating in a Leafs uniform. So, you know, he, he went fairly far in the playoffs last season. So these guys get away from the ice for a while. And now they're just getting back, getting the skates back on, getting the feel of the puck a little bit. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe it's we're, we're just over a month away from the Canadian's golf tournament and then training camp. And uh, summer goes by too quick, man. My advice to hockey fans, enjoy the summer. Enjoy the nice yeah, weather. Exactly. Go outside. Go for a walk. Go for a swim. Do something. And uh, the hockey season lasts long enough as it is. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe like uh, I, I looked at my work calendar because I had to just like check a couple things yesterday. And then I'm like, 
oh my god, it's already August first next week. Like, what the hell's going on? Oh, I know. Well, you're right. I mean, the interest the NFL is similar. I mean, even more so, as you say, for fans like you, big NFL fans, it's twelve month a year thing, and people live and die with these teams. I mean, you're a Montreal guy cheering for the right. Cincinnati Bengals. I know I did a column uh, a few years ago asking a bunch of different media people. Uh, I always find it interesting how Montrealers are so into the NFL, and so many of them have a team like you do. And it's like, how did you become a fan? Like, Herzogowski <laughs> is a Cleveland Browns fan. Like, I, because his dad was a Cleveland Browns fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know Tony Marinaro is a Jets fan. I mean, how, how did you become a Bengals fan? I don't even know so, that story. It's, it's actually, it's pretty simple. I'd like, that's not like a team. Well, you and Brendan Gallagher, that's not like a team like, I'm going to be a Bengals fan. Usually it's a right, Cowboys, exactly. Nets or Giants or something like that. So when when I was a lot younger, I want to say like between seven and ten, you know, all I'm getting on cable TV is you know the the only cha- you could only watch Channel Three and it was CBS, so that's mm-hmm. the only channel you could watch football on. So it was always the Patriots games. And again, I was just too young to understand. Mm-hmm. But one time. I'm watching football. I think I was like getting ready with my parents for for a wedding in the family. I must have been 10 years old. Uh, and I'm watching just the the Patriots beat the living piss out of the Bengals. Like I think it was like 45 to 10. And then like last second in the fourth quarter, uh, Chad Johnson, before he became Ocho Cinco and then back to Johnson, catches a touchdown uh, and like does a crazy dance Again, I didn't understand what was going on. They're getting the, they're getting the piss beaten mm-hmm. out of them, and uh, I'm just like, I like that guy. I like that team. So <laughs> it's as simple as that, you know. Because it's funny because when they came to prominence, you know, two years ago when they drafted Burrow, and then everyone started paying attention to them, and then you know I'm in the I, I I'm in the media, so like uh, people start paying more attention to me, and I get more of a following. Everyone's like, oh, you're a bandwagon. You're a bandwagon. I took that so personally because I was like, I went through years of pain. Like who picks the Bengals? You and Brendan Gallagher. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like, well, like very ill-advised decision to pick the Bengals. Like I I had no idea what what the pain I was in for, but Hey, now I'm in i I'm kind of in a good space. Um, Again, like I said, like I, I, like I asked this question to a couple of, uh, couple months ago when the playoffs were going on who would it be tougher to be um the the uh toronto maple leafs fan base who haven't won a playoff uh, round mm-hmm. or the carolina hurricanes who always make it to the stanley cup uh semifinals and then get the get the crap beaten out of them because they can't win a game in that in that round i've kind of lived both because before <laughs> two years ago the bengals hadn't won a playoff game in 30 years and then they made it to the Super Bowl. And then crushing loss. They had the lead in the fourth quarter. Last year, you know, controversial call sends the, and then a last second field goal uh, sends the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. Knowing what I know now for both, um, it's a lot more fun having the hope at the beginning of the season uh, because you know you're going to win a couple playoff games. But the the heartbreak, man, <laughs> the heartbreak is so much tougher when uh, when you when you lose when you're so close. That's what I could say. But there's, well, that's Leaf, my story. Yeah, basically, I mentioned Leaf fans. When I was four years old the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> so, oh I have a lot of friends who live in Toronto, and uh, uh, some are some are Leaf fans. Some hate the Leafs. The, the ex Montrealers who moved to Toronto usually the ones who hate the Leafs. But I can't even imagine uh, being a Leaf fan. They're like. This year is going to be the year, though, right? This is the year, right? Yeah, it's the same story over and over and over and over again. It's, 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 uh, it's 
like my friends and I say, they they are the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. Yeah. Uh, you know, expectations. You know, it's mm-hmm. always it's not even expectations in the fan base at this point. It's like it's the media, well, the media, media spotlight. Surrounding, exactly. I mean, right? no, it's, there's no team in the NFL even now it gets more media exposure. I don't think than the Cowboys. Maybe the Chiefs a bit, but in uh, Toronto, I mean, the, the Leafs get more attention in this country. That's for sure. It's not even close. But, well, that's uh, it, and they always just fall short of expectations. Uh, yeah, and it's always amazing when it happens. You know, and you love to doing, see it. They keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And with the new GM, they seem to be well. Apart from you know, getting Ryan Reeves, which I'm still sort of scratching my head about that yeah. one. But uh, I guess they figure. I mean, I don't know how much tougher Ryan Reeves is going to make Goss and Matthews and the other core four guys in the playoffs. But uh, I don't even know if Ryan Reeves will be in the lineup. Well, that's it. That's uh, one thing I didn't yeah. understand about that move. Um, you know, let, let's talk about another uh, another uh, rival of the Canadians because they were in the news cycle for for obvious reasons earlier in the week. But Patrice Bergeron uh, mm-hmm. announced his retirement. Don't worry, Canadians fans, we're going to draw. We're going to bring this back to the Canadians. Yeah. But um, is is he like? I mean, definitely in my time, he's the the best two way center I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can make the argument that Anze Kopitar is up there. There's a lot of guys, and you, I could hear the arguments for everyone. There's no really wrong answer, but mm-hmm. is it fair to say that, like, because I've been hearing, it might be hyperbole, you tell me, of all time, he's one of the best two-way centers. Do you, would you agree with that? It's hard. I mean, just look at the uh, trophies he's won as the best def- uh, defensive forward. He's won a lot. You'd have to rank him right up there. I always find it's hard to compare generations. You know, like I always, I still will argue with anybody that Bob Yor is the greatest hockey player who ever lived. But you watch a video from back when he played, and you know, some of these defensemen he was going around could hardly pivot <laughs> compared to now. So it's sort of hard, sort of hard to compare uh, generation. For Bergeron, I mean, for people out there watching this, if you haven't read his retirement note already, it was on NHL.com. I highly recommend you do it. It's one of the classiest things <clears throat> excuse me, I've ever read. It was just he, the way he. He thanked his family. He thanked the fans. He even thanked the media. He thanked. It was just. It was a real, real class act. And uh, it doesn't surprise me. I, I was. I've interviewed him maybe five or six times over the years. And once, I think once or twice, it was sort of one on one, and just so classy, like like thoughtful answers, listening to questions, very polite, very well spoken. Uh, and that's what everybody says about him. I mean, he was just a really as good as he was on the ice. Off the ice, he was just seems to have been a great guy. Also, and, you know, Kent Hughes was his agent up until he became uh, GM of the Canadians. And Kent Hughes also sent the note out uh, congratulating him on the career and remembering when he was a 18 year old French kid who went to Boston and hardly spoke any English and uh, what he went through there. And the other thing Kent Hughes said is like he learned a lot from Petrus Bergeron also. And um, so it was, it was it was a nice to see him go out on his own terms. <clears throat> Excuse me, I know he was hurt in that game. In Montreal, and people were wondering why he played, and apparently his dad was really ill, and his dad wanted to see him play one more time at the Bell Center, and that's why he played in that sort of meaningless game, and he got hurt. Uh, but I, I always like to see when an athlete is able to go out on his own terms, and I'm sure it was a difficult decision for him. You know, after the Bruins had such a great season, and you know, were the favorites going into the playoffs, obviously won the Stanley Cup. Uh, but he's, he, you know, from everything you read and everything you hear about him, he's a real family guy. Now he's going to have a chance to spend more time with his family. You know, he thanked his wife in that note. Uh, she's sort of the rock behind them. And uh, with these players, you know, the wives are the ones who take care of the kids and the schooling and everything else. These guys are away a lot of time. Yes, they have a lot of money. Yes, they can have a lot of help, but it's still uh, 
uh, a lot falls on the wife. So I'm sure his kids are going to, as much as they're going to miss watching their father play, they're going to enjoy, I'm sure, having him around the house a lot more and being able to do a lot more things with him and being there for birthdays and Christmas and all that stuff. These guys are on the road a lot. Uh, but just a really class act on and off the ice. And, yeah, I think, go back to your original question, yeah, I think he has to rank right up there as uh, one of the top defensive forwards of all time. I mean, Bob Gainey, fans out there will give you an argument. Um, different positions, one's a winger, one's a center, a lot more defensive responsibilities for a center. But for Patrick Bergeron, just a, a class act on and off the ice. And, you know, the, the Bruins-Habs rivalry and Montreal fans hate the Bruins, but I don't think Montreal fans hate Patrick Bergeron. I think he's that one of those guys that was able to, uh, even if he didn't like the Bruins, he were able to respect Patrick Bergeron for the player he was. Well, he was always one of those, like for me, uh, he was always one of those. He never got mixed up in the shenanigans. I mean, I remember there was a game where there was like a line brawl against the Bruins. I think the game ended like eight to five for the Bruins and Price Mm -hmm. and Tim Thomas got into a fight. Never got involved in that stuff. It was just always, he just like is the poster boy for I'm going to do my talking on the ice. Like I'm going to just compete my ass off and that's how I'm going to beat you. And, and I feel like Canadians fans, along with him being a gut Shane new, you know, they just respected that so much because I feel like there was, there's, there's hate and then there's envy. And I feel like, I feel like even deep down Canadians fans, they don't hate Brad Marshall. They envy him because he's the type of player. If he's on the Canadians, you love him. Yeah. If you're a Canadians oh. fan. Um, yeah. Bergeron never looked in other players face either. <laughs> well, that too. But yeah. But Bergeron, it was like it was never even like a hatred through no. envy. It was just like no, and even 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 if he wasn't a, a Quebec kid or a French kid, I, I think it would have been the same thing. Obviously, that adds to it, you know. And Canes fans mm-hmm. will say, "Why didn't the Canadians draft him?" And how he could have been a Hab and everything else. But then, if he had been a Hab, would they have developed him the way he developed in Boston? The Canes yeah. didn't have a great reputation for developing players. You know, they missed obviously a, a guy right in their own backyard. Uh, but again, just just a, a, a real class act, uh, and right to the end again for fans who maybe haven't read it yet, go to NHL.com and read his uh, retirement letter. It was really something special. So the the comparison I want to draw is obviously the one that's been following uh, the captain of the Canadians mm-hmm. since he's been in the uh, since he broke out with the Canadians is Nick Suzuki because there's always so many comparisons between the two. Now there's a long way to go for Nick Suzuki mm-hmm. to. Uh, you know, really be a Patrice Bergeron, you know, he's got to win a Stanley cup. He's got to win like a million Selkies, but what, where does that begin? Like, where do you start really taking that comparison seriously? Like when will Nick Suzuki start getting those Selkie considerations? Cause it kind of feels like he's in a Phil to no range when he was with the Canadians. Yeah. Like he was the best kept secret as the best defensive forward. Yeah. Uh, that the Canadians have had, and he never got any recognition for it. Like, when, what would it have taken for Phil Deneau and now Nick Suzuki to start getting that recognition on a year by year basis? Well, two guys that are ahead of them. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I was talking about Bobby Orr before. You know, Brad Park didn't win a Norris trophy because Bobby Orr won them every year. If Bobby Orr wasn't there, he would have won a bunch of them. So it's sort of the guys that are ahead of you also. But I understand the comparisons between Bergeron and Suzuki. Um, no, I wasn't around Bergeron often. You know, I interviewed him, as I said, half a dozen times maybe. I'm around Suzuki basically on a daily basis during the season. And there's similarities, that calmness, um, that uh, Suzuki's mature beyond his years on and off the ice. On the ice, he does every, he does everything right. Like, there's rare that you'll see Nick Suzuki make a bonehead play on the ice in the offensive zone or the defensive zone. 
Uh, like Bergeron, he's a leader by example. You know, the guys in the room, they talk about Nick doesn't speak a lot in the room. When he does, those guys listen. It's more guys watch what he does, how he prepares. This guy hasn't missed a game since he came into the NHL. You know, he's on the team that's been riddled with injuries. He hasn't missed a game the last two seasons, all 82 games. So there's similarities in that and just the style of play. They both play a really smart game. Uh, will Nick Suzuki ever win a Selkie trophy? I don't know if he doesn't. Does that mean he wasn't a great two-way centerman? No, there's only one guy that wins that award every year. But I understand the comparison just because I think their personalities are very, very similar. You never you know, you never heard anything bad happening with Bergeron off the ice. You never hear anything bad happening with Suzuki off the ice. He's still with his girlfriend from junior. They live together here. He's a quiet guy, thoughtful guy. Um, you know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I've gotten to know Nick's mother a little bit when they were on the mother's trip. I was on the road with the Canadians and I had a chance to speak with her quite a bit. Um, super nice woman, very smart, very thoughtful. And and so I've spoken with Nick's dad also. And the same thing, his dad's a dentist, has his own dentistry business. He's just, he's a really um, smart, confident young kid. And it's been cool for me sort of watching him. He's around the same age as my son. So many of these guys mm-hmm. are. And I remember the first time I interviewed him at a development camp, and he wasn't even in the main Canadian's locker room. He's in one of the other locker rooms in Brossard. And he sort of had that deer in the headlights look like with all these cameras on. He was sort of like, what's going on here? What's going on here? Now, um, he's still not the um, uh, 100% comfortable with all the spotlight coming at him. But every year, right. he gets a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better with it. And now, the last season, just seeing him mature, being able to watch him mature on and off the ice <clears throat> from the first time he came with the Canadians has been sort of cool to watch. And it's going to continue going forward. I mean, it's going to be – he's going to keep getting a little better every year. And uh, he's shown that already so far. So uh, his ability to stay healthy, the leadership, the quiet leadership, the two-way game, a lot of comparisons there with him and Bergeron. Yeah, and, and you know, just to go back to your point about, you know, he's getting uh, more and more comfortable every year. I feel like last season was really helpful to him because I I, I can't remember a time when – like the Canadians had basically a stress-free season. Like there was no mm-hmm. pressure whatsoever. As long as, you know, you saw things from them, signs of promise, that's like such a low bar. And I don't yeah. think in my time there's ever been a season like that. And definitely in your time, because you were, again, like you always <clears> say, <throat> back when you were a kid, they're, they're winning Stanley Cups left and right. They, you know, yeah. they were, you know, they're missing place in their cabinet for all their, or they mm-hmm. have, they don't have enough space in their cabinets for all the Stanley Cups that they have. Yeah, and, and the thing that impressed me the most about this team last year, well, one, they played an entertaining style of hockey. They were fun to watch. And two, they didn't give up. Like, this team had fight in it. There was maybe one or two games all year where they sort of, you know, maybe the third period they sort of packed it in a little bit. But very rare did that happen at all last season. And that says a lot about the coaching staff. Uh, it says how much guys want to play for Marty St. Louis. And I think it says a lot about Nick Suzuki also as a young, young leader in that locker room. I mean, it's a different locker room now without Carey Price and Shea Weber. You had the two veterans who dominated that room. Like, they were they were the guys. And now it's more spread out. You have uh, Suzuki's the guy as a captain, but it's more of a – it's much more of a brotherhood. You know, you know, a lot of the players called Shea Weber dad, and he was a father figure to a lot of the guys on that team. Suzuki's like the brother. Like, he's one of their brothers. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that Kent Hughes really wants to build with this team is a brotherhood and a bunch of guys around the same age that are going to grow up together on and off the ice. And Suzuki is the leader of that group. The guys, everybody in that room respects him. Like, it's it's when they talk about him, that's the one of the words that always comes up is respect and leading by example. And that's, uh, again, going back to Patrick's version, that's what he did. 
You know, uh, just just before we wrap up, I, I, I just wanted to, I mean, it's it's a little too early. The past two weeks, I've done way too early expectations or uh, predictions for uh, the offense and then the defense. But someone who I really want to zone in on is Nick Suzuki, because, you know, there's at what point, you know, can you obviously last year, I, I thought it was really impressive to, that he did what he did uh, with the team that was around him, because it's a lot less of, a, of an ind- individual sport hockey is than any other any other of the major sports. Um, but, you know, what what are your expectations, uh, you know, points wise, play wise for Nick Suzuki going into uh, this this coming year? Well, he had 26 goals last season and he played a good chunk of the year without his regular linemate, Cole Caulfield, obviously. Um, so you have to believe there's a, a possibility of him scoring 30 goals. It wouldn't shock me if he scored 30 goals. And I think the step for him this season was at 66 points, 67 points he had last season. I think this is a season where Caulfield stays healthy. They find a, a regular other linemate to play with him. I'd, I'd expect uh, – I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a point-of-game player this year with at least 82 points. And he's already shown he can stay healthy. And uh, playing – I mean, he played, I think, with every single guy on the team at one point last year on his line. I mean, it was mm. crazy. You know, uh, it was nuts, the guys that he ended up playing with. So, I think this is the year, if all goes well, I'd, I'd be surprised, actually, if he doesn't become at least a point-of-game point player with 82 to 90 points. You know – I'll even I'll even go as far to say this to bring it back to the original question, um, if if the if he did become an, an, a point per game player or just just below that you know anywhere between the range of seventy five to point per game to more, I, I think he starts getting the recognition of you know the of those comparisons between him and Patrice Bergeron. Like I think that would like solidify it because Bergeron, I, I think the highest point total he ever got was some you know, high seventies. I think he mm-hmm. had 30 something goals and then 40 something assists one year. And uh, I don't think he ever hit that point per game plateau, but I, I think if Nick Suzuki manages to do that, th- that would solidify him. And, you know, people would start drawing those comparisons and then they're going to say, you know, you know, to his benefit, maybe, maybe not. When's he going to get that ring? Cause when he gets that ring, maybe then he'll start being really compared. You know, when you get those arguments going, when it goes. Yeah, and, and even with the ring, like I'm not a big believer in that. If you didn't win a Stanley cup or a super bowl or an NBA championship, then yeah. you're not a great player. Cause there's only one team. There's 32 teams in the league and one team wins every year. So you can, you know, Dan Marino going to the NFL never won a super bowl. I mean, he wasn't a great quarterback, but you look at, you know, I'm just looking at Suzuki here on hockey DB 13 goals his first season. Second season, he had 15 goals in only 56 games mm. and 21 goals and then 26 goals. So as I said, so five-goal improvement uh, last season. So another five-goal improvement this season puts him over 30. There's not a ton of 30-goal scorers in the NHL, and there's not a ton of 30-goal scorers who are equally effective at both ends of the ice. So mm-hmm. if you have a centerman, a young centerman, who can score 30 goals and play 20 minutes a game and, and – uh, take key face-offs and all that kind of stuff, uh, be a leader in the room. He's a really valuable commodity. And, and that contract, you know, Mark Bergeron gets a lot of criticism for stuff he did in the past and bad contracts he gave up. But that Nick Suzuki contract, I think in the end, is going to look like a bargain. And it was sort of the start of, instead of rewarding older players like Brendan Gallagher with big money yeah. contracts, lock your young guys in and get them like what what you know what Bergeron did with Suzuki and now what uh, Kent Hughes has done with Cole Caulfield and lock them in in their prime years pay them for what you expect them to do rather than pay them for what they already did 
And that's sort of where the Brendan Gallagher, and I love Brendan Gallagher and he's earned every penny he's ever played with the Canadians, but that contract that Bergeron gave him was rewarding him for what he had done in the past, not looking ahead to what might happen in the future as he gets older. And uh, both of them are smart deals. And I think both of them are going to turn out to be, look like bargains. Uh, you know, once the salary cap starts going up, up again, uh, as is expected, um, you know, Nick Suzuki's contract is going to look like a real good deal. From your, uh, from your mouth to the uh, hockey God's ears. Um, hey, I just want to congratulate you. We made it 35 minutes without <laughs> talking about yesterday's breaking news as tony spent yeah. yesterday's episode talking about um but hey let's just let's just touch on it really quickly before we end off i mean uh yuri slavkovsky obviously didn't have a great rookie season um what's a what's a successful season for for yuri slavkovsky next year well I, I i sort of laughed and tony laughed too at that sort of breaking news thing where he says he's expecting to have a better season than his rookie season well what would be yeah. breaking news is if he said i don't expect <laughs> to have a, i mean <laughs> really really he expects to have a better season okay that's good news i'm glad he doesn't expect to have a worse season um i think for starters uh obviously staying healthy you know i only played 39 yeah. games last season it'll be interesting to see how his knee injury i know he said in that interview we did back home that his knee felt good even before he left montreal and he's been, he's been skating and working out uh four goals in 39 games last season i you know he's lost some weight from that story saying which i think is a good thing is that he wasn't fat he's just a big yeah. strong kid i mean he's built like an nfl tight end uh but dropping another 10 pounds like to play in the nhl 230 pounds is that's a lot of weight to carry around. Uh, um, it, losing the weight will, should make him a little bit quicker. I think one of the biggest or the biggest problem he had last season, the game was just too fast for him. It was like things were just happening too quick, and he sort of looked like he couldn't figure everything out. He was, uh, you know, guys were on him too quick in the defensive zone. Guys were on him too quick in the offensive zone. He wasn't shooting when he should shoot. He was just – he's 18 years old. That's the thing. I mean, in hindsight, I'm – you know, I don't know why the Canes didn't send him to Laval. I don't know why they didn't send him to the World Juniors. I thought that would have been better for his development. Uh, having said all that, what would be a, a good season for U.S. Sopkowski? Staying healthy, and if he could score 15 goals, I mean, it's a big jump from four. If he could score yeah. 15 goals, uh, that, that would be, a, a, to me, a really good season for a, a 19-year-old kid, even whether he was the number one overall pick or not. Uh, but it's going to be interesting this season because now some of the other guys who were drafted after him are going to be playing Logan Cooley signed. He's going to be playing in Arizona. Shane Wright will probably be playing in Seattle. Um, so last year it was hard to compare what he was doing with other guys because they weren't playing regular in the NHL. But this is the season where there will be more pressure on him because if Logan Cooley starts lighting it up in Arizona or Shane Wright you know, plays really well in, in Seattle, there's going to be more pressure on Slepkowski. So, you handled for an eight. It's easy to forget how young these kids are. I think for an eighteen-year-old, yeah. everything well in Montreal, the spotlight, everything else, uh, dealing with the media. He, he had a really he had a good sense of humor. He was funny. He's a fun kid to be around. He's a nice kid to be around. Uh, I think it was probably a, an eye opener for him last season. I think he, you don't you don't become the number one pick in the NHL or any sport without being a little bit cocky and without being confident in yourself and without knowing you're good. That's all good things. But then you get the NHL, and I think it was like, wow, like this is really fast. This is, and also he was going from a big European rink to a smaller NHL rink. That's another huge adjustment for him. So, you should see who his who his line mates are. Um, Ma, he played really well with Monahan when Monahan before he got hurt last season. I I wonder how much that 
played into the Canes wanting to bring Monaghan back to have a guy who could play with Slavkowski. Slavkowski said that Monaghan was able to slow the game down for him. That's something Monaghan is really able to do as a veteran. Yeah. He's able to control uh, the pace of the game when he's on the ice. Um, so if he if he finds regular alignments, if he can stay healthy, if he plays with Monaghan and Monaghan can stay healthy and he has some stability, that's one of the things, you know, with all the injuries last year, there was no stability on the lines. Like, guys were playing with everybody. You never had any, you know, nobody had a, like a 10-game stretch, really, where you were playing with the same three guys, and that includes Nick Suzuki. So I think for Slavkovsky, if everything works out well, if he stays healthy, he has 70 regular line mates, if he could score 15 goals, um, that would be a big season. From what I saw of him last season, uh, I wouldn't expect him to do that. But, um, you know, he said he's been working a lot with Adam Nicholas. Adam Nicholas is a, a brilliant hockey mind, and the guys really love working for him. So uh, going into the season, I'd be an open mind with Slavkowski. If he's, I said if he's lighter, that's a huge first step. It'll make him quicker. Uh, he's had that taste of the NHL. He got to watch a lot of games in the press box, too, when he was hurt. And I think that can really help. I know Jordan Harris spoke with me when he first got called up uh, the, by the Kings after university and Marty St. Louis played him three or four games. Then he made him watch a couple of games in the press box. Mm. Harris said he realized that there are times where you do have more time than you think you have. So maybe that's something uh, Slavkowski learned by watching so many games and by working with Adam Nicholas is to know when you have a little bit more time and when you don't have a little bit more time, when you need to make that quick play and when you maybe have an extra second to, to think and make a, make a thoughtful play. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does. I, I, I like Slavkowski as a kid. Uh, he's a big, you know, he's a big thoroughbred, right? He's a big, big kid. And, and I think he's surrounded by the right coaching staffs here. Uh, again, I think it would have been better for his development last year, at least if they had sent him to the world juniors, like what Seattle did with, uh, mm -hmm. Shane Wright, uh, they didn't, but so can't change that. But uh, coming to the training camp, I think there will be pressure on Slavkowski um, to show that he's ready, that, that he's, he's – everything won't be new to him now, right? He came here last year yeah. at development camp. Everything was new. The training camp was new. The teammates were new. Everything was new. It would be a more of a comfortable feeling. Uh, I think I saw in that story also he's going to be planning to live by himself this year. Uh, it's not really, I think he was living by himself when he was 15, when he was playing <laughs> before, which is hard to believe, but, uh, it's a maturity process. And I think he'll be a, a year older, a year more mature, a little bit lighter. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Well, uh, much like, uh, Sean Monaghan can slow down the, uh, pace of play for Uri Slavkovsky. I'm going to ask you to slow down the pace of this summer flying by because uh, I don't, I don't want to blink. I don't want to blink. And then next uh, month, like you said, it's the Canadians uh, golf tournament. So summer uh, is too short in Montreal and it goes by way too fast. I know. I know. Anyways, uh, Stu, thank you. Thank you very much. Don't blink because you know, next thing you know, it will be that Canadians golf tournament and uh, enjoy your weekend and enjoy, uh, enjoy, uh, I guess the net until the next time uh, we get to speak. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. All right. And thank you all for listening. And uh, you all have a great weekend. I'm Matt O'Han. We'll catch you next time. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.